This is Innovating a Bright Future. Welcome back to the show. My name is Avery Kreiwalt, and I'm the host of Innovating a Bright Future, where I walk you through the innovative and revolutionary technologies driving climate action and laying the foundation for a sustainable future. Today, I'm talking to Carlos Rias, the co-founder and CEO of Hydronordic. In this episode, we talk a bunch about the implementation portion of renewable energy. What does it take to get on the ground, get funding, and start designing and building renewable energy projects? I hope you learned from this episode, and I hope it inspires you. Carlos kind of made it clear, to me at least, that it is far from impossible to be the one to make the switch to renewable energy. You don't have to have trillions of dollars or 100,000 employees. That's what I got out of it anyways. Enjoy. Hello, and I'd like to give a very warm welcome to my guest today, Carlos Rias. And you have a couple of degrees, Carlos. First, you have a bachelor's in mechanical engineering, and then you moved on and actually got a master's in wind energy engineering, which is actually pretty cool. And what we're going to be talking about a lot today is something called Hydronordic. First of all, like, hello, it's uh, really nice to be here, like a big fan. (laughs) Finally, we could manage the time to, to do it. Uh, as you already introduced, like, my name is Carlos, Brazilian, uh, but I live in Denmark right now because I came to, to study wind energy, as you already told, told before. I'm also a public relations technical engineer, uh, wind energy engineer, co-founder, CEO of Hydronautic Energy, and soon to be the proud father of an awesome baby girl. So that's the most important thing. Congrats. Thank you. To, to introduce Hydronautic Energy, Hydronautic is a startup, recent uh, founded uh, startup here in Denmark, creates engineering projects for, for the clean energy sector. We basically try to integrate the green hydrogen, not necessarily the hydrogen value chain, but green hydrogen value chain, only made from electrolysis and uh, renewable energy, such, such as uh, wind energy, also solar energy, uh, photovoltaics, solar energy and also the thermal solar energy. So that's the projects that we are involved in. So my next question is, you are kind of living at this intersection of two of what I would say are my favorite things, uh, climate change, renewable energy, and entrepreneurship. You've started this company that's building out renewable energy. So I'm curious, how did you first become interested in climate change? And then what pushed you to be an entrepreneur? Or did it happen in reverse? Were you an entrepreneur first and then decided to go into climate change? As I told you, I'm Brazilian. I, I come from a Brazilian state that calls Minas Gerais. That literally translates to general mines. There's basically only mines there. Uh, the, the mining industry, uh, it's the one that dominates the sector, the engineering sector there. As I want to save the planet, not mine it, I decided to take a different path. So I uh, was studying like mechanical engineering there. Most of my colleagues were, were going to, to the, the mining industry there. So I was trying to find something sustainable to work with. So I decided to try to work with uh, car recycling. That's the closest thing that, that I, I could find there. So, so that 
maybe when the inter entrepreneurship part came along because I had to leave only the numbers for the engineering and the calculations and uh, start doing working on a business plan to apply to create this industry of car recycling in my state. It was really interesting because uh, I learned, learned a lot of things about economics. But the, the sad thing is that I realized that wouldn't be feasible, basically because of the lack of public interest in like uh, the public sector, like uh, the government. So uh, I, I decided to focus my, my mechanical engineering on the wind, wind energy part. Even though there's nothing close to it there, uh, I wasn't limited to, 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 to be there. So I came to, to Denmark to study uh, wind energy. Me and my wife, we, we used to, to, to joke that we didn't chose Denmark. Denmark chose us because I applied for a bunch of uh, sustainable energy masters. And uh, Denmark was my favorite, but uh, it was the very first that I got accepted. So we came uh, here really fast and it has been awesome since then. I learned a lot about statistics to understand what is causing climate change. Uh, and I realized the energy sector is the most responsible for it. So I tried to tackle it by yeah, founding the, this startup. We're going to fast forward past kind of the middle of that story of how did Hydro Nordic come to be? How did you meet your co-founder and everything like that? We're going to talk about the entrepreneurship later, but you mentioned that Hydro Nordic is a startup that's trying to implement these renewable energy resources in Europe and around Europe. Would you call yourself like a power company or what exactly is Hydro Nordic? It, it would be like energy company, but it's clean energy. We don't want anything to do with non-green non energy. I met the co-founders here in Denmark. It was mind-blowing. I came to study here at DTU, Denmark Technical University. I wasn't used to study in a university of that level, of high level. So I met lots of people, lots of interesting people well-intentioned people and also competent engineers. So we managed to meet people from MIT, from Stanford. And uh, we had similar interests because my master's usually gathers people that wanted to, to make a change in climate change. About 10 years ago, I discovered uh, hydrogen, hydrogen and said, wow, this creates energy. Only pollution is clean water. This is magical. And then I start studying about it and realize that uh, green hydrogen, clean hydrogen can actually replace all fossil fuels to, together with renewable energies. I mean, you can use green hydrogen to fill up your car and fill up your, your buses, for example, or you can create green hydrogen and create synthetic kerosene that is a jet fuel for, for the planes because the, the planes cannot use batteries, but synthetic kerosene. So you can capture carbon mix it with green hydrogen. It's not going to be 100% uh, clean, but it will be net zero because you're capturing the carbon before to uh, the atmosphere again. Just a quick side note, synthetic kerosene is one of the alternatives that's being considered for jet fuel. So we can still fly places when we need to without burning up the atmosphere while we do it. It's still in the development process, but the point is to make it at least carbon neutral, if not carbon negative, by using hydrogen generated through electrolysis as the base for the fuel. I was talking about hydrogen, presenting hydrogen to some colleagues here in Wind Energy, and they got like really interested in. So we decided to, to integrate like the wind energy. The strong of wind energy, it's offshore. 
and there's offshore it's on the sea but for now it's they are like fixed offshore on on, on the seabed but there's researchers in already in, in advanced studies that offshore is reaching floating capacity for 15 gigawatts. Uh, that, that is really, really big wind turbine. So you, we can make, create like a floating offshore wind farm, like in the middle of the ocean where the, the wind is abundant. And from the seawater, we can create green hydrogen. We will actually get to a point that we will have much more energy than we actually need. The, the total wind energy in the world it's capable of supply 16 times the, the total global demand of energy. Uh, so it's just a matter of integration, storing the energy, uh, and we're going to do it not only with wind energy, but also with solar, because uh, solar, like urban solar, you can, can implement, you, you don't have to implement like a big power plant of solar. You can use the rooftops from, from the houses, for, for example. So it would be great to, to mix it, everything. Yeah, so you guys have, or are working on at least, quite a large and diverse suite of solutions to this problem of climate change. We are not billionaires, of course, <laughs> not yet, <laughs> but uh, I mean, the projects are billionaires, like uh, it's really on a high price. So we need like government support, That that's where our funding is initially coming from. And initially, the, the project that we can make it, that it's the cheaper one. It's like green hydrogen refueling station. But the interesting part is that we will also work as a combined heat and power plant, like a micro power plant, not capable to port like the whole city, but maybe a block. So the idea is that to replace the fossil fuel companies, for example, you can imagine like a gas station, a regular gas station. Imagine that each gas station now, instead of selling gas, will sell green hydrogen to fuel your vehicles, our vehicles, but also supply grid balancing. So at night, when uh, there's a lot of lot, lots of wind and uh, not so much demand, we can store the energy and use uh, software that that we also are developing, uh, integration software, to check the demand and release the energy to the closest households, because. As close as you are from, from the energy source, you have less loss on transmission. Well, these solutions that you're talking about, like when you're talking about changing gas stations, like every gas station into a hydrogen station and turning each hydrogen station into also a distributed energy supplier, and these are pretty fundamental shifts to the basis of how the economy and society is work for a really long time, which of course I'm completely on board with, but I'm curious because you did say, of course, none of you guys are billionaires. You guys are working in a startup here. So how do you plan to achieve that? Is this all funded by government? Are you guys the ones that are lobbying for the government to build out more renewable energy and this renewable infrastructure? What is your role in this? How do you see this going down? We are an engineering company, so a project. We plan to, to build the first prototype of the, this refueling station in 2023. We don't need billions of dollars to create like a, a, a wind farm for this refueling station. But you asked me how I plan to achieve this. Talking to you, I would say, because this is not a, a one company fight. Uh, we have to act together. The public sector, you, you asked me about public funding. This is essential. 
The direction for the climate change will come from political will, from the government. The, the, study, the studies that, that I did before actually founding the, the Hydrogen Articles was to understand what was called causing climate change and where was it coming from, statistically. So I uh, realized that 73% of the global emissions that is causing climate change comes from, from the energy sector. Energy sector includes like transportation, uh, households, industry, the energy used to create everything like iron, uh, cement, and, and so on. So that's the sector that I, I think that we should prioritize. Because if we do everything else, it still will have 75% of the pollution not going to reverse climate change. And there's like some key countries, some key governments that should make a difference. Like the, the, the biggest polluters are today China, European Union, and uh, the United States. In absolute values, not per capita. Per capita, uh, China is not so much in Australia. It's like a huge polluter. Carlos makes a good point. The way we measure emissions is important. Yes, China is the biggest polluter when you look at the amount of carbon that is entering the atmosphere from each country, the most basic measurement. But when you look at per capita emissions, in other words, when the amount of emissions is compared to the number of people, and you average out how much carbon is emitted by each person, Canada is actually really bad, and so is Australia. The US is still really bad. So yes, International agreements like the UN and such have to crack down on developing countries too. But right now, China is more efficient with their emissions, if that makes sense. They get more done per ton of carbon that they emit. In the end, it's up to everyone. Everyone has to reduce emissions and do it quickly. We can't just pass the blame around. So the US government, government and uh, that, that's the biggest economy in the world, and the European government has to shift, really shift, to the green transition. If they do so, China probably will have to follow along and we will have the three biggest polluters in the world shifting and the, the rest of the world will shift as, as well. And how do we achieve that? The technology already exists. We already have plenty of technology, alternative technology to, to create green, en green energy. We don't achieve that because of greenwashing, because of the fossil fuel companies lobbying, because they will lose money. They already have like a business established. So they spend a lot of money in lobbying. They spend a lot of money political campaigns to elect their candidates. So the candidates can continue offering subsidies for, for the, the fossil fuel company. If we learn to vote, we can vote green. Actually, I would say for myself or for you, I can imagine that if you were like a, a candidate, like you would be fossil fuel lobby immune. You will not take fossil fuel money at all because you know that uh, reversing climate change is much more important than money, for example. So if we vote green, if we learn about our political system as boring as it can be, we have to learn about it and we have to vote green. Voting green, the government will change the directions, will stop greenwashing, will stop fossil fuel subsidies, and will start invest proper money for uh, the green energy. Proper money will be like trillions of dollars. The, the same money that is invested, the government invested in fossil fuel companies, for example, not millions, not billions. Right now, uh, they are investing some billions, but it's not enough. But the change will come. We have until 2050 to make this change. 
just just by talking to people that the single most important thing that you can do it's vote green uh you can do anything else but if you vote wrong probably it's not going to work i really like the call to action of voting green i think that's it's very important it, it is the single most important it is really boring i know but it's the the, the single thing that is necessary how successful has this startup of yours been in the last couple of years? Like how, how has it progressed in its first stages? And is that, would you say that's the biggest challenge you've faced so far is getting the public and our governments on board with this agenda of getting to a more renewable energy grid and a re more renewable society? Or what other challenges have you faced? Hydronautic Energy officially it, it's, uh, was founded th this year. So we had the project for, for a few years now, but we were waiting, I would say, for the momentum to, to get, get into it. And uh, the momentum seems like it's quite right uh, with Biden's uh, directing the U.S. The momentum is here. So there's a lot of, lots of investment in going hydrogen and uh, lots of investment in renewable energy. So we have been pretty successful, I would say, much more than we ever imagined because when we say that we are a green hydrogen or green energy company, we attract attention of really important people, I would say like uh, investors and so on. They, they want to hear our, our idea. I cannot say much about it because of uh, NDAs, uh, non-disclosure agreements, but it's uh, it have, have been like really exciting, really, really nice to actually be able to, to make money with something that you can save the planet at, at uh, the same time. Like, as, as I told you, we don't want only want to fight climate change. We want to fight inequality. So we try to vote green. We try to vote female, preferably. We have a policy here that we care about the human as well as the technology, I would say, uh, as the climate. We will not hire uh, more than 50% of men for decision positions. We want this balance with 50% female, 50% male. And I would say this approach, this human approach comes much more from the female part. It is really nice to, to not have like only profit work environment. It's really nice to, to, to like your co-workers. And so we are pretty successful right now, like uh, much more successful than we, uh, that I ever imagined. But it seems we are only at the beginning. The prospects are like, like unbelievable. Uh, I, I get lost if I think about it. <laughs> That's a good sign. That's a good sign. If you're just at the very beginning and you're still looking ahead, that means there's a bright future for your company. And that's a really good thing. A bright future for, for all of us is really nice. Like. So what does this really mean to be a CEO and an entrepreneur to you. You have this power, you're using it to create change, you're using it to promote justice and diversity. How does that fit with who you are? Before, before I became an entrepreneur and CEO, uh, I thought like that, oh, CEO is the one, the person that uh, give orders and uh, live a good life and so on. And by founding the company, co-founding the company and becoming CEO, I realized that Actually, we are, for, for a small company, I would say, we are everything except the one that just give orders. If you spill something on the floor, you have to clean it. So you are the cleaner of the, of the company at the same time. If the internet presents some problem, you are the IT guy that will have to solve it. 
when you're deciding about the, the campaign videos or the the logo, you become the, the marketing specialist and uh, you have to create the company uh, legally. So you have to become the lawyer. So so that's the thing that can be like overwhelming. It's like really interesting if you survive it, <laughs> but uh, it, it can be like overwhelming with it. You, you learn that being the CEO or of a small company or being not, not just me, like the CTOs uh, and, and the marketing director, they're working a lot. And when you are the, the owner of your own company, there is like a work, like a, a good side that you can create your own time to work if you don't have to deal with investors or the customers. Because once you have to deal with the, the investors and the customers, you have to work at their time. So you cannot make your time anymore. So you you get you catch yourself working lots of overtime. So yeah, I would say that being an entrepreneur is like that. You're gonna work a lot. The good thing that you will really believe on what you're doing. I would say probably you're gonna fail sometimes. Really, really uh, okay to do so. But perseverance is the the key word I would say. Because child, when when learn to to walk, it doesn't uh, only walk away and start running, it trips a little bit and fall a little bit and get up and continues. So being entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur will be probably like this. You don't have the stability of a, of a good job, for example. So you have to to create it yourself. But after you realize that you can do it, it's really nice. To anyone listening that wants to get in on this and become an entrepreneur and make change in our world and try and make this world more sustainable than it is. I think that was a really, really powerful response because it was to me and I'm one of those people. I, I would add that don't get used to inspiring advice because you're not going to get uh, lots of it. You're going to get much more no's than yes, but you actually don't need uh, lots of yes. When you find the right person, network with the, the right people, uh, things will start working by itself. So it's really nice. So what would you say, you touched on this a little bit about how you work a lot, you do everything, but it's still very nice. What would you say is the most enjoyable and the least enjoyable part of your lifestyle right now? Yeah, I would say that the least enjoyable part is the lack of stability. We are like here in Denmark, but we have been talking, you are in Canada. We are eight hours apart from each other. So this time you made a sacrifice to start work, uh, start working at 5 a.m., I think, 4.30. Yeah, so <laughs> that was your turn. But uh, sometimes it's my turn. So sometimes I have like different uh, schedules. This is the most difficult part, different schedule from, from uh, the regular life. That's a... Uh, I would say the price of working uh, globally, and it's a um, it's a really good thing. The best part of my lifestyle it's that uh, you you don't have limitations to what you can achieve. I would say you everything that you build it's for yourself or for your community. You're not building for your uh, boss. I think that's something that a lot of people dream of. Being in a position where they don't have to worry about people telling them what to do or how to do it and being able to have that freedom to pursue something that they actually care about, like you're doing with climate change and renewable energy, like I'm doing with this podcast. I've seen this before. 
people don't want to be rich. There's no joy in riches, but there is joy in freedom. So if you have the ability to do what you want, when you want, how you want, even if it's challenging, like being an entrepreneur, as you're saying, is incredibly challenging, especially when you're working across the world. But when you have that freedom, that's really what people want when they say they want to be rich or they dream of being rich. They dream of being free and having that ability to be free. And I think that's really important. You need money to live, of course. You need money to, to have the liberty, to, to have the freedom to, to come and go whenever you want. But there's a limit, I would say, that there's like some plots that uh, link the amount of money that you make with your happiness. I, I don't want to get all the money and accumulate it. I don't dream of becoming the first trillionaire or the, the richest guy in the world uh, money-wise because I consider myself already rich because of my friends, or because of my family, because of my healthy uh, lifestyle, I would say. I'm, I'm really privileged about it. Like, really, really, I know that I'm uh, really one of the lucky ones. I, I don't want to work and do everything that I can to make more money and more money and more money. And we can make a lot of money with green energy sector. Lots of money. It's extremely profitable. So if people from fossil fuel companies would know how much profitable it can be, the renewable energy happy that you are not destroying the planet they would shift so that that's that's what we're trying to to do here like i think your generation and the next generations know that a lot the the, the new business um, model they know that profit is important but not the only thing the previous generation my generation and, and the previous generations don't necessarily know that yet so your generation is like fundamental to to solve this problem I agree. That's a good that's a good way to finish up the bulk of this conversation, but yeah, it is it is important to note that like I think it's ingrained in generationally that this is how things are in respect to fossil fuels. This is how things are. We make money off of burning and mining fossil fuels and it is just going to take too much work to change it. And I think that start that mindset is what's starting to change now. Not only because the drive for it is increasing in the youth, in young people, in young adults, the drive for change is increasing because we see that this earth is what we are going to inherit. And if we allow it to be ravaged by the worst effects of climate change, we're not going to have a world to live on. Yeah. So that is one of the reasons. And I think the other reason is that people are starting, maybe not there yet, but they're starting to open their eyes to just the tens and hundreds of trillions of dollars that are in this industry yes. if we start delving into it. It is the span that this that renewable energy and everything that comes along with it has for making profit, I would say. Yeah, it, it's inconceivable. Like It's difficult to understand how much money that there, there is out there. I would say that one of the things that make the changes more difficult is greenwashing. Are you familiar with it? Yes, yes. But uh, you could just explain it a little bit to the listener. Yeah, greenwashing is, is when a company disguises itself as green, but actually it's not green, it's polluting or something. Fossil fuel energy, for example, uh, are changing their names from oil company to energy company, trying to, to disguise themselves. Lot, much more money in marketing and public relations and lobbying 
that they are actually spending on investing in green energy because they don't want to change. Uh, and the first one, when I say fossil fuel companies, that we, we have to understand, companies are made by people. Companies don't have decision by itself. So the decisions of the companies are made by people. Uh, the decisions of the government are made by people. So the companies, the directors of fossil fuel, they are the ones that make the decision and they will not change their mind. Don't put your hopes on a fossil fuel company that says that, says that uh, it's green energy now. It's not going to be. It's not going to change. The only thing that will make them change will be the government. The government will make the directions. The people there in the government, because the government doesn't make decisions. So we have, once again, we have to vote green to put the right people in the government so they can change the directions of the people on the fossil fuel companies. It's not our, our responsibility to make sacrifice. It's not our fault. We don't have to stop living to stop uh, using plastic, I would say. We don't have to uh, sacrifice everything to recycle every single thing that we use. Of course, this is really good, but I mean, the power of the vote, it's immense comparable to the single things that we can do. So we don't have, if you, if you don't want to sacrifice yourself, if you don't want to, to do anything, just by voting green, you're making the whole difference to, to, to the world, to, to global change. Because the government has to do it. And uh, we as a company, we can do it. But you, you, uh, you uh, as a person or myself as a uh, citizen, we just have to vote green. There you go. You've heard it here first. If there's one call to action from this episode, vote green. Do yeah. it. <laughs> vote for climate. Think yeah, about exactly. it. When you go to the booth, think about it. It's your future. It's your kid's future. It's your grandkid's future. It matters. Vote green, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's really nice. Please vote green, yeah. Now, don't take this the wrong way. Everyone should be recycling, limiting waste, limiting energy and water use, buying less stuff, and when you do buy, buy sustainable. But I agree with what Carlos is saying. If you're going to choose between starting to recycle in your house or lending your support to a political figure with a climate agenda, do the second one. Participate in the big, system-wide changes. Make your voice heard, go to climate protests, and vote. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that, that, uh, this will happen, actually. Your generation is already, like, really awakened, so it's really nice. Perfect. All right, well, we'll end the bulk of our conversation there, but I just have a couple of short answer questions that I want you to answer kind of as fast as you can. Okay. All right, the first one I got for you is wind energy, solar energy, or something else when we're looking at transitioning to renewable energy sources instead of fossil fuels. All renewable energy, wind energy and solar energy and hydrogen energy and thermal, all renewable. Uh, our enemy is the fossil fuel industry, not the renewable energy. Yeah. So you don't discriminate, all of them work? No, yeah, all of them work, yeah. Perfect. You mentioned for using uh, hydrogen in aircrafts, you very, very briefly mentioned carbon capture. My next question is, is carbon capture a viable solution to climate change or is it something that we can use a little bit and we need to focus elsewhere? 
little bit. It's part of it. It's not the solution alone. As hydrogen, I insist saying green hydrogen because hydrogen can be also greenwashed. If produced from methane or any other fossil fuel company, it's not green. When I think about carbon capture, it's because it would be nice to capture carbon as we stop to emit carbon uh, in the atmosphere. So it's just part of it. Uh, it's not the solution. Carbon capture should, should be uh, worked together with green hydrogen so we can create the synthetic fuels for long-haul trips and so on. Another great point from Carlos here. Using carbon capture to stop climate change is kind of like trying to bail out a sinking boat instead of plugging the hole. I mean, it slows down the problem, but you're still going to sink if you don't stop the water coming in. Perfect. Yeah, that is an important distinction to make. It's not sustainable if it's not green hydrogen. The only way to make green hydrogen is with water electrolysis, if I'm not wrong on that. And I think it was our our first or second episode ever that we did on the first electrolysis. One with with Inaptor, yeah. Uh, Inaptor is a really nice company. You 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 were really luck having them, but, but not 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 only luck because you, you look you, you came after them. But Inaptor is a really nice company. They have like a woman CEO. That's uh, that's one of the the greatest greatest thing that could happen to to the company. Uh, you're saying like uh, green green hydrogen. Uh, there's lots of talks about different colors of hydrogen and everything. Uh, of different co colors, in my opinion, is greenwashing. The, the, the fighting between electric, battery electric vehicles and uh, hydrogen electric vehicles, they'd say, which one is the best? Both are the best. I really think that this is part of the, the public relation project of fossil fuels to instigate a fight against two renewable energy, two renewable energy against each other's, so they can continue greenwashing and so on. So everything that is renewable, and truly green, it's our ally. And everything that's fossil fuel is not our ally. Uh, it's creating destruction, I would say. That's fascinating. Yeah, I never really thought of it like that, that this perceived dichotomy between hydrogen electric and electric vehicles is fueled by this need to just create conflict to distract from actual progress. So that's very interesting. And my next question was actually electric vehicles or hydrogen electric vehicles. So we'll just fast forward to that one and move on both. to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah both. So you touched like super, super briefly on this and I'd be very interested in having you back on later to talk more about it. But how important do you think climate justice and diversity is to making sure that this world that we have as a whole, not just parts of it, is moving towards a future where we don't emit any greenhouse gases. Yeah, it is. It is uh, totally important. I would love to come back, talk to you uh, as much as uh, as you like. Climate diversity, uh, as I told you, like there's the developed countries are responsible for for the climate change uh, as a nation. I would say right because of the industry. So they have to give the example. Uh, they have to 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 make the shift. One, the 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 world start shifting, the other countries that, that will shift as well, but they don't have to sacrifice themselves themselves right now because this is part of the, the, the greenwashing, the diversion of vision. Yeah, I, I, I don't have the numbers here right now, but we, if anyone wants to see it, it's on Kutzkeza uh, video on YouTube. 
they made like a who's causing climate change. It's really interesting. If all the the, the poor countries change their energy matrix to clean energy, will not solve the climate change. So once again, uh, statistically, we have to, to start from the bulky part. And inequality, I would give you an example about the, this COVID uh, management for, for the countries. No human are perfect. So I don't want to say that women in power are perfect. There, there's uh, some, some flaws as well. But if you, if you look at the, the management, the COVID management of countries guided by women leaders, they were like phenomenal because of the human part. They understand that life is the thing that matters. So that's why I really think that we should uh, vote green and preferably vote female because the human part comes from the female part. The We need each other, I, I would say. We only have men, uh, almost having only men in decision-making positions is not a good thing. But it brought us here. Yeah, that's a really good point. It did bring us here. Yeah, so it is very important. It is essential that we include climate justice and diversity in our quest to reducing greenhouse gases. And this is something that I would want to bring you back on to talk about at a later date. So we'll have to talk about that. So my last question to finish up this conversation is, you've worked in this field a while, and even just looking around at the world around you and everything that's happened over the last year, two years, a decade, whatever it is, do you think that we can actually reduce our carbon emissions enough that we meet that maximum warming of 1.5 degrees as a goal? Do you think we can do that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that's what, what I'm doing. That's what we're doing here. So we're going to reverse climate change, we have technology to, to do so starting now already. And in 2050, I will retire. Yeah, hap happily retire. Yeah. <laughs> happily retire. Happily retire when all the problems are solved. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, this has been a great conversation. Is there somewhere that listeners can go to learn a bit more about Hydro Nordic or find you and learn more about you? Yes. Uh, well, my name is Carlos. Uh, it's difficult to pronounce my name in many languages. In Portuguese, Carlos Reis, like race, but it's spelled like R-E-I-S, Rice. I uh, have a LinkedIn profile. Uh, if you want to, to, to join me, uh, you're welcome. And for Hydro Nordic, we have a website. We're still uh, under cons construction uh, website because we are focusing on the project itself. It's uh, www.hydronordic.dk. DK is the domain for Denmark. You're welcome to, to visit us. Subscribe to, to, to the website and we will let you know when we relaunch the platform. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Carlos. This has been an amazing conversation. I have learned so much over the last 50 minutes and 14 seconds. So I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk to me about this. I'm very happy that we were able to figure out a time. You're welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, it, was, it was really nice to be here. Another great episode in the books. Thanks so much for being here and learning with me. Carlos was a fantastic guest. Big thank you to him for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on the show. 
If we're lucky, he may be a returning guest because he's pretty well versed in a bunch of topics that we didn't get a chance to discuss today. Please share this show with one person close to you. We're seeing the impacts of climate change more and more every day, and our goal at this show is to provide a way to learn about it without losing hope and without overwhelming you. We have all of our social media in the show notes, as well as our newsletter and a bunch of ways you can get involved in climate action. So check it out. Thanks for listening. Stay innovative. I'll see you next week.